Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, especially those who are our guests. Thanks for uh, choosing to make us your church home for an hour today. Well, before we get into the message, I would like us to intercede for the city of Las Vegas and ask for God's mercy upon them as they heal through this process and um, to believe that the Holy Spirit can touch the survivors who lost loved ones. Father in heaven, so painful is it. It's hard for us even to watch the, t- the newscasts. We ask you for your mercy upon those who lost, lost loved ones. You, you say, Holy Spirit, that you comfort those who mourn. And do that now. Help that city, Lord, to understand better who you are through this time of grief. Come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray that you would give us the grace through law enforcement and excellent intel to understand who might want to do this again and stop them before it ever occurs. We pray for your protection on our city. We surely are a target. We're grateful that we've had very little in the last 16 years. Very little. But we're believing you for peace and safety for our children, for our neighborhoods, for our businesses, for our sports arenas, for our transport facilities. In every area, malls, we're believing you for peace and safety here, all across America and the world. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. All right, we're going to continue our series on the Word. Turn with me over to the book of of Acts, chapter 20, verse 32. Acts, chapter 20, verse 32. Here Paul is speaking to the uh, elders at Ephesus, and they are bidding him farewell. He is saying his goodbyes. And he's trying to help them understand a few last things before he leaves. He lets them know that they probably will never see his face again, and they're sad about that. Um, And it's not because he doesn't want to see them. It's that he realizes his plans to preach the gospel might uh, accelerate his his visit to glory. And uh, they are all sad about that because he birthed them. It says, he says in verse 32 of Acts 20, and now I commend you to, the, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Lord, help us as we study. The title of this message is Graced, the Word of God. The Word of God is fueled by grace. It's fortified to construct, and then it, 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 it has a, a future in mind for us. It furnishes a hope for tomorrow. Paul says, I want to, to make sure that I commend you to the word of his grace. That I, the, the emphasis was not just, I want to commend you. 
that you're doing a good job. He's saying, I want to point you towards something that's going to help you in my absence. And remember, there was no New Testament. It did not exist. Paul was in the process of writing it, along with Luke and others. And so all they had was the Old Testament. And much of the Old Testament was foreign to many of these Ephesians because they were Gentiles. And so they were hanging on every word that Paul could give them because he was really smart. And he was a Jew of Jews, if you will. He called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. Um, he not only was a Pharisee before he got right with God, but his dad, it seems, was a Pharisee. And he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He could trace his lineage back to those who came out of Egypt. This was a man who was not only understanding of his heritage, but proud of it. And if a Pharisee understood the words of the law really well, probably much better than most. So when he says, I commend you to the word of his grace, he's saying, study in my absence. I realize that I'm your source for the most part because I know stuff you don't. But even though you might be somebody who wasn't a natural inheritor of the things of God because you didn't come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, please understand that the word of his grace is there for you. And if you can remember what I have said and begin to flip through the Old Testament to help you confirm everything you know to be true, God will bless you. But you have to read your Bible every day. I commend you to the word of his grace. I'm grateful that you continue to show up on a Sunday morning at Grace Covenant. It means a lot. You trust us to some degree you believe that we can help you at some level you think we're credible or you just wouldn't keep coming back and you're sitting there very attentively attentively right now listening to me which is wonderful but I hope we we and me we and me that's wrong we we and I that's even more I hope all of us are not your only supply. I know I need to perform well my duties at preaching and talking about and conversing about the word. And it helps you when I do it. And you ought to have an expectation that God is going to, at some point, speak through me, sometimes apart from me, about what's going on in your world to such a degree that you say to me afterwards, were you in my living room this week? Were you in my conversations? Wow! I hope that happens because that's a confirmation of the Holy Spirit doing things beyond me and in this environment. And it allows you to receive more than just that which comes from a human being. Yes. But outside of that, I commend you to the word of his grace. Because I cannot be your only supply. Read your Bible every day. There is something of a supply that will give you more than what I ever could. Because God will meet you beyond me. And it's just not me. Whatever podcast you listen to, great, happy about it. Whatever books you read, great, happy about it. 
But don't let anything substitute this word that comes directly from God's lips to your ears. You read your Bible every day. Get in it because there is grace in this word. And we all need grace. I commend you, he says, to the word of his grace. His word is sure. His word is strong. His word is unwavering. His word is foundational. His word is unshakable. But it's not just a word that reminds us of everything we're not. It doesn't remind us of what we've done wrong. It's not just a word that that helps us to understand the judgment that would come if we continue in the wrong way, kind of hanging over our heads. It's just filled with grace. And you have to understand why God, God talks in order to get what I just said. Why God talks. Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. I mean, blew it bad. No different kind of bad than the way you blow it. But blew it bad. God said, don't eat from the tree of which I told you not to eat. They ate. And God said, in the day you eat of it, you will die. So what was the motivation for God, knowing that they had eaten from the tree, to come down Walk in, it says in the scriptures, walking in the cool of the day, looking for them. He'd already pronounced what would happen if they had eaten from the tree death, judgment. So, why come to have a conversation with them? Except to let them know he hadn't. He had an alternate idea about how judgment should be rendered. Why does God talk to you? Because he's got an alternate idea about how judgment should be rendered. Because all of us deserve it. Every one of us. Let me amplify this. Jonah. The most infamous prophet in all of the Old Testament. Why? Not because he was bad, but because he didn't want to do what God said. And it was his job to do what God said. It's not like it's not our job, but it was his job. I want you to say this to the people of Nineveh. He says, no. He's a prophet. You're supposed to say what God says. He says, no. Now, Jonah's a prophet of Israel. And he had a lot of good natural reasons as to why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the opposing people to Israel. They were the enemy. It represented the kingdom of Assyria. And Assyria was now becoming, if not already, the dominant power in the Middle East. They had had many wars with Israel, the northern kingdom, of which Jonah was a part and a prophet. Jonah had probably seen relatives, friends, co-workers, uh, people with whom he, he had real relationship, die at the hands of the Assyrians. And they were infamous for what they would do with those who lived and survived battle and those who died. It was horrible. They were barbaric. 
And then the Lord just comes to him one day and says, go talk to him. Now, Jonah knows God pretty well. And he understands the motivation behind why God wants to speak. Because he knows this. Lord, if you don't like the Ninevites like I don't like the Ninevites, then why don't you do what I would like you to do to them? Just kill them. Bring down judgment. You've still got lightning in your, your arsenal. You, you, you've got hailstones. I mean, you did it to Sodom and Gomorrah. You didn't, you didn't warn them at all. You didn't warn them. You went to, to Lot's house to deliver Lot and his family, but you didn't warn that city. Kill him. You and I are on the same page. Knock them out. I don't like them. You don't like them. Knock them out. But he knew that if God was sending him to talk, you have another, you have an alternate plan of how judgment ought to be rendered. You don't think they don't deserve judgment, but if you talk to them, you'd like to extend mercy before you bring the hammer. I know you, I know you, I know you. So I don't want them to have any mercy. So I ain't going. I want them dead. And so he gets on, but where are you going to go from God? Where, how you, gets on a boat, goes, well, how you, where are you going away from the presence of God? It says he was leaving the presence of God. How do you do that? God doesn't even have to run hard to find you. He doesn't have to chase you. He's just there when you wind up wherever you wind up. You know the story. Ship, storms, I'm the problem, throw me over. He's dying, going down to the depths of the sea. Fish picks him up. Three days, spits him out in a place near Nineveh. He's got to walk there and now go preach to the capital of Assyria. And he doesn't want to do it, but he has no choice because God said do it. But my point is this. Why was God wanting to talk? Except to let the grace that is in his words be evident to those who needed to hear. So why in the world does God ever talk to you? And this is why you need to, to, to tune your ear to hear what he's got to say because he wants to talk to you. That's how much he loves you. He doesn't want you to be judged. Whenever he opens his mouth, it's a part of his grace that helps you to plan about how to live best, to stay out of difficulty. I commend you to the word of his grace. When he speaks, he speaks to instruct, to help. And if you don't put yourself in a position on a regular basis to hear his voice, you are not getting the help you need. Now it's up to you to figure it out as best you can. Using your, 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 all the wisdom that you have gained through your life experience that brought you to the place where you realize, I need God. That's where your life experience brought you. 
It brought you to the dead-end spot where you said, I can't do this anymore. I need God. And yet when we do not utilize all the resources at our disposal to find him and to seek after him and to want to hear his voice by reading our Bible every day, putting ourselves in a position through small groups, other formats, uh, parenting weekend, men's meetings, women's meetings. Uh, We had a Mother's of Grace yesterday. All the ideas about what it means that we have created for you to access the word of God best. When you don't do that, then you go back to what got you here in the first place. Meaning not that which was productive, but the the prick, if you will, the, the prod that said, I can't do it on my own. I need more. And may I say that God will not stop the prodding until he brings you into his presence. He won't quit because he loves you too much. He realizes you don't have all the wisdom you need. You do not have all the information you need to make great decisions. His word will fuel you with grace and empower you to not only press through your circumstances, but to make the best decisions in them. You must put yourself in a position regularly To hear his word. And Paul is trying to let the the elders at Ephesus know, in my absence, love this word. He didn't commend them to another apostle. He did not commend them to a prophet, to other staff that might be left who, who could help steward and pastor them. He said, read your Bible. I commend you to this word. It will fuel your life. And the beauty is this. Not only does God have a motivation that is grace-inspired when he speaks, but when he does speak, it's amazing that what he says generally to us is amazing. See, when Jonah went to speak to the Ninevites, this is what he said. In 40 days, God will overthrow this city. That's it. It wasn't if you, if you continue in your ways, in 40 days God will overthrow the city. Repent or perish. There was no option in the prophecy. There was no sense of, of, of the ability that God was, was giving to turn. None. Jonah did, if, if God said to say that, he, he disobeyed again. Jonah just wanted to deliver to them the hardest thing he possibly could. In 40 days, God will overthrow this city. It took him three days. Nineveh was so big, three days to walk through it. And he just kept saying the same thing over and over again. They received, meaning the Ninevites, that as mercy. Even though it's, it, it, the words were judgmental. Aren't you glad God doesn't talk to you like that? I mean, this, I'm not quite sure again what God wanted to say to Nineveh. Because Jonah said it like this. And I knew, we know the motivation on the inside of him was mad. You just didn't have a right-hearted prophet. And I've been around enough prophetic people to know that when they are mad, it doesn't come out right. Right words, wrong spirit. Looks fine on paper. That sounded really harsh. 
But normally, God's way of speaking to you is, I'm giving you an opportunity to repent. So not only is his motivation grace-filled, but to his people, the words that he speaks are full of mercy. It's not, I'm coming to judge you now and then figure out what you need to do in response. The, the Ninevites are amazing human beings, I guess. They, the king said this, I want everybody to put on sackcloth, uh, which is like a burlap sack. Take off your clothes and put that on. They did that in order for them to feel the, 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 the sense of discomfort that comes from disobedience. And, and never feel any comfort. You slept in it. You walked in it. You lived in it. For three days they did this. Eat nothing. Drink nothing for three days. And they even, I think, I, I, remember, I know the animals didn't eat or drink, but I think they put burlap on the animals too. I might be wrong about that. But these people went to the nth degree to say, God, we're sorry. We're sorry. They don't even know who God is. They just know this prophet walked through the city and said, this will happen. And they said, we need to do something about this. We don't want this to happen. We've offended the God of the universe. We're sorry. And they responded beautifully. And, and, and the way I know that Jonah did not want this to happen because he knew God would let this happen was at the very end. It says in, in Jonah 3, verse 10, when Jonah, when Jonah went through and then, and then the, the people repented, God saw the, the heart of the Ninevites and he relented from that which he was going to do. Verse 1 of chapter 4. And Jonah was displeased. <laughs> God just saved about 400,000 people. And Jonah was mad. He said, I knew. I knew. This is what I told you when I was in Israel. That if I go, now this part isn't in there, but this is what he said. This is what I told you. We had a conversation about this while I was in Israel. That if I went, you would do this. And I don't want you to do this. Point being, even when unbelievers have no clue, they can recognize that a warning is mercy. A warning is mercy. Don't be, don't be mad at warnings. God doesn't have to tell you. When he speaks, it's because he loves you. And then, generally speaking, he doesn't talk to us like that. He could if he wanted to. But you read through the New Testament. First thing that Paul says in most of his letters, grace and peace be to you. I think, God... You could say a lot of things about me. You could ride me into the ground with my disobedience over the, the balance of my life. But this is how you address me? With your word? Oh, you're amazing. Why should I ever question your love for me? Should I ever begin to, to, to feel like you're neglectful in difficult circumstances when when, when you speak to me when you don't have to and you could judge me without warning and you've chosen not to. Oh God, thank you for your word. It's a reminder that you care for me. Secondly, it's got some fortitude in it. It's got some strength, some ability. 
The writer of Hebrews says it like this. And he, in verse 3 of chapter 1, and he, meaning Jesus, is the exact representation of his nature. And he holds all things together by the word of his power. This word has power. Paul says, and I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able, able. This word has ability. It's not just on a page in print. It's living. It's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to give you wisdom about that which is of the soul and that which is of the spirit. That which is of, of flesh and that which is not. He's, this word has power in it. And there are those who will take it and just use it as form, something of structure that they need to apply to their life life, like scaffolding, and then construct what they wish and then remove the scaffolding and say, this is now my life. Uh Uh-uh. This word helps me to construct everyday important things in my life that allow me to live well and do well, think well, speak well. I need this word to frame everything I am and everything I do. I need it to empower my soul in order to get up every day and to treat people who don't like me well. It's not just mind over matter. Though I'm grateful for Norman Vincent Peale, some of you have no idea who he was. He was a power of positive thinking guy back in the 50s and 60s, very popular, and used scripture primarily as a foundation from which he established his ministry. And he wrote all these positive books, and they were great. And I love positive more than negative, but it's not enough to be positive. You've got to be word-oriented. You've got to believe that your God is in his word, and when he speaks it to you, he is speaking personally to you to help you individually get out of where you are and into where you need to be. This word is living and active. It's not just that which informs your soul about thinking positively. It is the, it is the actual framework that when said well and believed well, will construct your life well. Are you hearing the difference? It has abilities. The writer of Hebrews says he's able to hold all things together by the word. Just his word that has power. His word. And and, and what are those things he can hold together? You. You ever been in the place where you felt like you were falling apart? Yet you are still here. He held you together by the word of his power. In science, there is a force called the strong force. Now, I've read a whole lot since my college days. And they are determining some things within the atom that they think they are able to identify. Why in the world? The atom does not blow apart. We're all made constructively in terms of our physiology of atoms that then make up molecules, that then make up substance. And these atoms at the core, called the nucleus, 
are made up of neutrons and protons. And we determine the kind of atom it is by how many neutrons and protons there are. And that's what we call this scale, this, this chart that you used to see in chemistry. And depending upon how many uh, new, <laughs> protons there were, that's what the, what the atom was, the substance was. And on the inside of the nucleus, there was the neutrons and protons. Now, we know that similar charges repel. So if you have a magnet and it, you, you try to bring it to another magnet, at the ends of which both are positive, you feel the pull away, the push away. But if you go positive to negative, they attract. So why is it that on the inside of the atom is this nucleus that allows for only protons to exist with neutrons? And neutrons are called neutrons because they are neutral. They have no charge. So what, what keeps the, the, the nucleus from going pow? They call it the strong force because they can't figure it out. It's just strong. It's just real strong. Now, I have Bible for it. Now, they've, they've, they've figured out some other reasons as to why it's together, but they still have only identified things that are holding it, but they haven't identified why. My God holds all things together by the word of his power. Hmm. He holds nations together by the word of their power when they're splitting apart. He holds churches together. He holds families, marriages together by the all things he holds together by his word. His word. And so when you feel like things are falling apart, what you need to go to is not just mind over matter. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I tell myself, it's going to be okay. Uh, better tomorrow. Think positively. Don't think negatively. Better than thinking negatively. I get it. But begin to confess this word over your life. When I think about things that aren't going well, say in the life of my children, I said, Lord, you said my children are an inheritance. You said they are a gift from you. That's what you told me. You didn't say they were supposed to be a primary problem in my life. That's not what you said. You said they're supposed to be a gift. So either I'm not looking at this right or they need to change or maybe I need to change. I'm not quite sure, but I know what your word says. So I believe that at some point, we're going to find the giftedness. And I am not going to fly off the handle and go nuts in the meantime because I trust your word in this. That's what you said. So many other promises that I find in the Bible about my children that I am, I'm speaking and prophesying over my kids on a regular basis. Now, it's not that I'm getting with them and saying, come here, let me talk to you. Let me prophesy. I'm not. I'm saying it in prayer. Because every time I try to, don't do that, parents. Literally, you sound manipulative. You can't do that to them. You just have to talk to God, and then make sure that your soul is calibrated correctly so that you don't exacerbate the problem. 
you accelerate the, the rebellion in their life. You just let God do what he's doing. And remember that most of the rebellion, they got honestly. <laughs> Weren't you 14 once? How'd you do? What stuff did you put your parents through? So minimally, it's a little payback. Minimally. Maximally, it's a lesson for you to learn about how to be like him to them. And to realize they caught it honestly. That's me. And Lord, help me to change. Because when I change, they can be a better version of them. That's how you begin to apply the word rather than trying to think everybody is at fault in your life. It's their issue. No, it's my issue. For, dec- for an entire decade, I fasted once a week for my kids. But it was more for me because I realized these kids need a better dad. They need a better dad. I never abused them. Never screamed and hollered at him, didn't throw things. I didn't do anything that most folk would consider outlandish. I was just a normal dad. But I needed to be supernatural. They needed a better dad. And so I stopped blaming them for their problems and started looking at me. God, change me. Because they're going to have issues. They aren't mature enough to fix themselves yet. That's why you put me in their life. So help me to be a better version of you so that they can become what they need to be. That's how I look at this word. It's a mirror to my own life rather than trying to blame everybody else for my problems. It fuels me. It holds me together. It keeps me on point when everything in this world wants to try to get me to go someplace else. It holds me in line. It's powerful. And it changes me. It also begins to construct. We see in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, there were two guys who were listening. We talked about this a few weeks ago to the, to the Sunday message. And, and one of them went away and said, great message, and I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. The other one said, great message, I'm going to obey what I hear. The one who obeyed what he heard built his house on, built his house. Ha- Obedience allows you to construct things. Built his house on the rock. The one who heard and said, eh, it was a great message, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Built his house on sand. Everybody's building something, but only those who hear and obey are building correctly. The word allows you to construct well. It puts architecture in your life to to let you understand what it means to be a really good friend when, when people are not friendly to you how to love people who are unlovable. And remember, sometimes you are the person about which you are voicing your, your objection. So everybody in here has somebody that they say fit in those categories. But nobody thinks it's you. But it's always somebody. But it's never you. But somebody else is thinking it's you. Why, you're thinking it's somebody else and so it's really important that we allow this mirror mirror the word to help us understand yes they're unlovable but to whom am I unlovable surely if you can't point to a person you can point to God 
we were all unlovable and that we were sinners running from him, considering it our, our freedom, our privilege to disobey. And he chased after us or met us where we wound up and still pursued us with his love and gave it to us freely without requiring anything of us. This is where Jesus says, love your enemies. And then in Matthew 5, 48, love, love those who don't love you. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The word perfect there actually means mature. Grow up. The word helps to construct things in your life so you know how to respond in very difficult situations. And that architecture helps you to be a better human being and to, to manifest the stuff we call character. The fruit of the spirit. Math, uh, Galatians 5.22. All that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and meekness and gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, against such things there is no law. Meaning you can have as much love as you want. If you run out, get some more. And by the way, do you know what patience is in, in, in the King James? Long-suffering. And you don't get to determine how long long is. We always think we've suffered enough. Don't we? Okay, I've waited long enough now. I mean, I put up with you as long. I, it's, it's been a long time. But you don't get to determine how long long is. So sometimes long is longer than you wish. And that's usually all the time. So... That's where the architecture kicks in. The construction of principles that allow you to respond well to people. The word is able to build something in you. And then lastly, and to, to grant you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. It gives you a future. It, it furnishes you a hope and surely he, he, he may be talking about heaven <laughs> that's a great thing to know that when we pass from this earth it's like graduation it's not the end beautiful I'm not in a hurry to get to heaven but I'm excited about it it's a wonderful spot having said that it's not only that there's a promise of what glory looks like for us who, who love him and who, who have accepted Christ's sacrifice on the cross but there's also an inheritance here that many people ignore an inheritance among those who are being sanctified or those who have been sanctified or the sanctified there is an inheritance that God wants to give you among these people who are with you there is an inheritance of kingdom principle and value that God wants to give while you're here. If it's all about just getting everything that we've always dreamed when we get to glory, then let's hurry up and get there. But nobody believes we should hurry up and get there because that's not all there is. The prayer we pray on a regular, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy what? Kingdom come. Thy will be done where how hmm 
So rather than us thinking about how we need to get to heaven, God's thinking about how we need to bring heaven here. There's an inheritance here that we neglect because we think we are just passing through to get to there. And this is what church is all about, building little outposts of glory so that people from the world who have been abused and have lost hope can find refuge here. And what do they find? The con- not, not perfection, but the concentration of principles more dense than any place else in the world that represent God's kingdom, his purpose, and his will. That's what church is. The concentration of his love, the concentration of his goodness and grace, his forgiveness, you, you are not supposed to be able to find it any place in greater degree than the church. And it's supposed to be an outpost of what heaven is here. And many of you are missing out on the inheritance that is grace covenant. Now, may I say, we are not the best version of his inheritance. There are other congregations that are infinitely better than us. And there are pastors who are more mature than me and can preach the paint off the walls and leave you inspired so much that you feel like you need nothing for the rest of the week. There is better every place. But we are your supply now. And as long as God has called you to be with us, get your inheritance. Don't you leave it on the shelf. Grow in love with somebody. I'm not talking about romantically. Find a friend. I know you're always looking for one. Well, be one. Don't always be needy asking for somebody to, well, they didn't hug me today. When we had the shake hand moment, nobody came to me. I don't know if they really care about me. I'm going to go find another. Wait, 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 wait. The shake hand moment, didn't they tell you to shake hand? <laughs> didn't they tell you to greet somebody? Please, don't miss out on the inher- Go get it. Don't wait for it to come to you. Go and get it. Find out what God has for you here so that you can expand it, replicate it in the lives of others. This is what this word does. Everything we do is based upon what we know the Bible has to say. Everything. Please read your Bible every day.